Oftentimes the monsters in our lives seem inescapable, but fall when we just look at them. Our fears, our griefs, the insurmountable power structures we find around us, we are convinced by ourselves and others that they are providential, the divine order. But even a little questioning shows their cracks. If you manage to glimpse the real, the unreal can begin to fall away. Welcome to Cinema Credo, conversations on film and faith. I'm Adam Glass. Strength and mercy for me, and from me every day. Life and light will bleed into love. David Emsch, and I am a child counselor living in Thailand, but here in Ohio for a month or so, and um, from Ohio originally, so it's good to be home for a little while, and um, yeah, so my my religious background would be fundamental Christian. Um, I grew up in a denomination called Grace Brethren, and um, in middle school, high school, kind of went to a non-denominational church, but, um, but I would just definitely say fundamental Christian is kind of my religious background. And the movie I chose to watch was The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. And, um, I picked it because the first time I watched it, the twist knocked me off my feet, but the general narrative just spoke to my entire childhood. David, you are uh, probably the closest to a similar religious background to me than any uh, anyone else who's been on the podcast. So right, far. right. Uh, we both uh, grew up Christ Brethren. Um, was your father a minister? Your father was. He was. Was your yeah. brother a minister? Yeah. Um, as uh, as was mine. Uh, I'll admit, when I first saw this movie in two thousand four, I uh, I did not appreciate it as, yeah. as you seem to have appreciated. Yeah. I think very much at the time, though, I was thinking about it while watching this. Uh, in 2004, I, I and uh, and America during that election season uh, wasn't really ready for the story of an insular community that uses fear to control its uh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, control its members. Um, but certainly, uh, a few more years down the road, I have uh, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> uh, and certainly, at the time, I should have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> much more uh, yeah yeah um but yeah it came out while i was uh while i was in college then mm-hmm. while I was in, uh, so it, uh, 2004 would have been my freshman year of or the summer uh the summer between my freshman year and uh right and sophomore year of yeah. college um you're my you're i'm 37 you're 37 so you're a little just, bit older just a couple years older yeah. yeah i was just out of college yeah uh, just out of Liberty University, in fact. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. You uh, you were on campus for your undergrad? I was. Yeah. 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 Uh, I imagine that was uh, as interesting a time during the Bush years as it has been uh, in any year since. But Yeah, definitely. Was, uh, was Jerry Sr. still alive while you were there? He was. Yeah. Um, 
when I left, he was still alive um, and was there for a couple more years. Um, but I, don't, I can't remember what year he, he passed away, but I he, he was still around the campus for yeah. sure. I don't know offhand, but it was, it was shortly thereafter. But we have the internet right in front of us. 2006 or seven, maybe? Let's take some bets. Take some bets. That's, What's the that's, over-under? That's, I'm saying 2006. May 2007. Seven. All right. <laughs> you were closer. Okay. Closer on your first guess. Yeah. Uh, certainly, having just having just left Liberty, hmm. I hmm. I can understand seeing a few more uh, a few more parallels. Yeah. Too. I went to uh, a private liberal arts college that I couldn't afford and will continue not to be able to afford <laughs> for some time. Right. Uh, that had uh, a tradition of affiliation with, I believe, the Methodists, hmm. but was not an overtly religious school. Um. Marking, uh, marking me as one of the first in my family to not attend an explicitly religious school. Actually, right, even sure. extended family. In fact, I believe uh, your your father went to college with some of my uh, aunts and uncles. Grace yeah, College, Grace in, college. Uh, Indiana. Yeah. yeah. Um, my dad went to Liberty, which okay, we've discussed right. previously. Right. Uh, but uh, <laughs> as I remember that story correctly. My grandfather at the time was tired of giving so much money to Grace College <laughs> that he demanded that my dad, the fourth child, uh-huh. uh, go anywhere else. Spread it out a little yeah. bit. And he picked Liberty University. Uh, and then the rest of his younger siblings, the three others, uh, also went to Grace. So Nice. Uh, which is maybe, I don't know if it's necessarily a step up or a step laterally, but my grandparents actually met at Bob Jones. So, uh-huh. um, they uh, have a long history of interesting, uh, yeah, of that sort of college. Uh, it's all in the same genre, I think. Right. right. When my grandparents uh, were at Bob Jones, they still had uh, gender segregated sidewalks. Yeah. In fact, I believe they did until the nineties. Actually, so. but, yeah. I think but, so. But even after they were married, my grandparents were not allowed to walk together around Bob Jones campus. Really? Yeah. Even or after was, they were married, uh, they. Uh, if I understand it correctly, it maybe wasn't widely known from other students that uh-huh. they were married, oh. uh, and as such, they would get side eye from uh, from yeah. a lot of people. Interesting. Even if Bob Jones himself told them it was okay, it was still a culturally a culturally ingrained thing that they could not be together on the sidewalk. It's interesting how cultural affects everything else, right? <laughs> Very deeply ingrained. Uh, to the point where even when you know it's wrong, it still uh, still has control over you. Yep. Like in the ending sequence of this movie, where even though she has been told explicitly these monsters are not real, she still believes she it. still believes it in and is way. still afraid of it even before Noah in disguise as one shows up. Yeah, and she crawls out of that pit covered in mud, and it is her first instinct to get the mud off the safe color. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, it's a very yeah. I had not thought about this movie really at all mm. until you said you wanted to do it. Yeah. Uh, and in the last few days, I've thought more and more about your interpretation of it and mm. what you had said about growing up in that insular community. Yep. Um, well, I'll take it even a step further. And um, I was homeschooled. Yeah. And I was homeschooled uh, for mostly religious reasons. Yeah. Um, I don't remember explicitly being told like that it was like the schools were bad and like yeah. corrupt and I'd you know get all that influence, but that was inferred 
pretty heavily. Um, I could just be missing or forgetting, but it was definitely for religious reasons. Blocking out. Blocking, <laughs> blocking out. So religiously grew up in a, in a pretty insular community, but then also I was actually um, not with peers right. in public school. Right. I predominantly went to public schools with the exception of the five years we lived in Maryland. Uh, I attended a, uh, a private Christian school. Yeah. It was very much in the world, but not of the world. Right. Uh, yeah. And its interactions with yeah. things uh, to the point where it probably used a lot of the same curriculum you might have used in your. Uh, yep. Your, uh, uh, that's a. Bring it back around to Bob Jones. Bob Jones University Press had a lot of. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, not not one of that school, but a, a school some friends of mine were affiliated with in Ohio. Um, I did uh, a teaching observation because I went to college to be an English teacher. Right. Uh, and I flipped through their fourth grade history book uh, and ended up on the page introducing the World War II Japanese internment. Uh, and... Uh, one, I guess kudos to Bob Jones for actually mentioning it, but it was framed as uh, patriotic Japanese-Americans choosing to segregate themselves because they knew that their existence made other Americans uncomfortable. Oh. It was never framed as the uh, wow. executive order from the president that it was. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> when I say interesting, I mean sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you know, even even though you know I had a little more freedom in that regard, religiously, mm. it was it was still very much insular, very much uh, fundamentalist. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, looking at this here, I also you know I also think, as I said, this movie coming out in the summer of two thousand four, right before. George Bush's re-election, it yep. is definitely meant as a critique of American culture at the time in general, not just any sort of religious subculture. Um, I think Shyamalan, uh, he was Hindu, mm -hmm. uh, but or is, um, well, <laughs> I guess I can't speak to that either, actually. Yeah. He is still alive, is what I meant by that. He is, he is still alive. <laughs> I did not say was because he has died, but... Uh, <laughs> But I don't know his current religious affiliation, but it's my understanding that he went to first a Catholic and then a Methodist school growing mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly certainly had exposure to that insular religious community yeah. um, in different ways. Yep. Uh, but, uh, but really this is, this is a movie about using fear to control social policy. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I would be really interested to, to hear his, like, what... What inspired him to set this in the late 1800s yeah. in the rural area of Pennsylvania? Like, how, what? It's why, curious. Why choose that as the place and the time? And it's, you know, we can't get very far into that without discussing that these are all white people who have escaped the all, city. All white people. Yeah. Uh, and the dangers of, of the town. Mm for this rural living and it's very much an intentional community mm -hmm. and I was thinking I was thinking about Rod Dreyer's uh, Benedict option are you mm -hmm. familiar? Uh, 
Yeah, briefly. <laughs> Probably about as familiar as anyone cares to be. Yeah. Um, uh, Rod Dreyer is a uh, conservative uh, Christian writer who also uh, also reviewed movies for the New York Post uh, for many years and for other news agencies. Uh, I, huh. on that regard, I searched for his review of The Village, if one existed, and he reviewed earlier Shyamalan movies and reviewed movies afterward, but I could not find a review of The Village. Uh, Interesting. It wasn't until 2017 that he put out his book on the Benedict Option, and the Benedict Option is the idea of Christians uh, retreating into their own intentional communities to avoid the uh, lack of virtue in... (laughs) Yeah. Broad culture, particularly in 2017 after uh, Ogafell and the, the gay marriage uh, ruling from the Supreme Court. Uh, yeah. Dreyer's not a great guy. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure he and I come from similar backgrounds, too. Dreyer himself, interestingly, uh, came, uh, he was, I believe, Methodist and then Roman Catholic and then Eastern Orthodox. Oh. He, has, he has steadily walked backwards yeah uh, backwards is the wrong term but but into into a more what i'm sure he understands to be a more strict christianity right even right. even as that being a, is a uh, probably a stereotyped uh talk about eastern orthodox and we started the first episode of cinema credo we talked to uh to an orthodox monk hmm. um, about last temptation of christ and i'm sure he interesting he does not like Rod Dreyer anymore. Sure, he sure, probably sure. doesn't even know who Rod Dreyer is, to be frank. But yeah, but, yeah. Hmm. Um, what uh, you talked about seeing this in two thousand four, just just as you graduated, hmm. uh, was it a path you were already on? No. Um, so I guess the background to seeing the movie was I got off work and. I, at the time, I, th- I think I had a cell phone in 2004. I don't know. But for, for whatever reason, none of my friends could hang. So I went, I was like, I'll go see a movie. Yeah. And I've never been shy to go see a movie by myself. Yeah. And I just kind of happened on the village. And I loved, um, I think, Signs, maybe Sixth Sense had come out. Yeah. Um, Unbreakable. I'm like, okay, I like that guy. I'm going to watch the movie. Not knowing one thing about it. Yeah. Didn't know anything except the name of it. And um, I remember the, the credits rolling at the end and just sit, sitting in the theater and like the people are there like cleaning up popcorn and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I need to get out of the theater. Like they're trying to, you know, move things along. Um, I think it was, I was, um, even at the time, um, about to go on staff at a non-denominational church as a youth pastor. Yeah. And so it was nothing... There was nothing about that spoke to me as like uh, um, this is who I used to be, um, as much as that's this is um, who I am. But but seeing the critique yeah. of this community and their almost um, well their complete avoidance of the world um, just like shook me to my core of like this is who I yeah. was. This is who I am. Yeah. Um, so it didn't change anything or anything um, like change my trajectory at all, but um, just seeing that kind of as a critique for like probably the first time yeah. 
because um, I was pretty hook, line, and sinker into um, the the religious um, conservatism I was in. In conversation the other day, you mentioned that uh, you don't fault yourself for your undergraduate at Liberty, but you did. Uh, yeah. You did go back. Yeah. Um, yeah. When did you go back? When was your graduate work? There? I didn't go back until 2012. So yeah. I went, I went back um, just because it was the easiest option. Yeah. Um, it was online. It was cheap. Yeah. And I didn't have to worry about transferring any credits that might not be transferable. You knew, you knew they'd count them because they were from the same. They were going to count them yeah. all. Yeah. I don't fault you for that either. I was yeah. just wondering. I, I was unclear on that timeline. So, yeah. so even that is... Uh, would you say you've you've stepped more into the person you are since doing that than uh... yeah so in 2000 um let me yeah at the end of 2013 i got divorced and the divorce kind of was really the fuel yeah for what kind of um i've always been a question asker but i've always been um easily appeased yeah. with answers um but more and more the answers i was getting to questions were not appeasing me and in the divorce i a lot of people who i grew up with and a lot of people who i were friends with uh, i was friends with they uh shunned me would yeah. be the the insular community word for <laughs> it um, and I was like, okay, this is a chance to actually maybe do some more question asking. Yeah. And so it wasn't really until 2013, 2014 that I started to think a little more outside the box. Yeah. Um, your job now, hmm. you said you were, you were a, a child counselor is how you introduced yourself yeah. that in Thailand. That yeah. is, that's particularly aimed at, uh, missionary communities. Correct. Right? Yeah. Uh, how did you end up there? Yeah, I, um, I've always had a love for the world yeah. and cultures, and I'm very intrigued um, by different cultures than the typical American culture. Mm. And for whatever reason, have never really identified um, myself mostly as well. Obviously, I'm American. I'm a yeah. Midwestern white white guy from America for sure but have always resonated with other cultures mm -hmm. um, so I've always wanted to work overseas and growing up with aunts and uncles that were missionaries um, there's something about people who are doing that sort of work that I really admire yeah. um, I really um, the people who kind of do something different than the norm yeah. um, move overseas out of their comfort zone and do something and regardless of if it's humanitarian work or um, evangelism whatever it might be there's something about those people that I really I really enjoy so I wanted to work with with them had you ever considered uh, while you were still in the culture being a missionary yeah totally yeah. totally and I was on the path I was a youth pastor and yeah um, that's the first step in the ministry. step one <laughs> in a non-denominational church. You were a little old to be a youth pastor in a non-denominational yeah, church, right. in my experience, actually. But uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, so. and, and, and when we say non-denominational, um, for those of you who, may, who might not know, it's 
it's a Christian church that is kind of saying we are not encumbered by the yeah. rules of other denomination. Right. A Protestant church that has gone even a step further to uh, throw off the shackles of other Protestant hierarchies. Yeah. Uh, which often ends up in a church that is governed by a single leader. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That is that is one thing I appreciate about the community in uh, in the village to an extent is that they do uh, they do function democratically among mm-hmm. the elders at yes. least. Uh, obviously, a vast majority of their population at this point does not have informed consent in their existence. Correct, but uh, but at least it is not. Uh, it is not Mr. Walker paid for this and is therefore the final decision maker. No, uh, there's definitely the de- yeah. democ- democratic decision yeah. making. Yeah. Although he does have the final say, it seems he like. He does. He, he also unilaterally makes the decision to send Ivy out yeah. against the wishes of the others. Yeah. Um, which I suppose at least he, he breaks, mm-hmm. breaks from the democracy for good, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also interesting uh, that the our characters who break that law and order, uh, Mr. Walker and Kevin, the security guard, mm-hmm. um, both do so to keep the status quo going. Yeah, uh, that they they break they break from what they should be doing. Mm. Law-wise, uh, but in a manner that keeps keeps this community maintained. Yeah. Um, and Kevin doesn't even understand what he's doing, really. And perhaps if he did greater understand what he was doing, he might step out of himself because not not rocking the boat is self-protection in yes. Kevin's in right. Kevin's existence too now because he's got a cushy job that presumably pays well enough that he doesn't want to ask the questions. Um, the thing I love about this movie is that there is no bad guy. Yeah. And even as we're watching these elders in the town kind of manipulate how things are done, um, the manipulation and the, the power that they use, um, be it on purpose or accidentally in the case of the security guard, uh, it's, it's all done with good intent. Yeah. To keep what they perceive as good. Yeah going and it is it is in that regard a critique of well doing what we think is right to maintain what we think is right mm. and maybe we're without taking the uh, self-reflection to understand what whether or not that is right right yeah i particularly think of again growing up the uh, the way my community religious communities used love mm-hmm uh, and that love always seemed to mean making someone more like you and not actually accepting them for who they are or even wishing them to be something greater in conjunction with you. It was making them more like you. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, in that regard, in whether or not there's a villain here, hmm. and I agree with you that, that there's no real bad guys per se, um, I'm going to talk about Noah. Hmm. Uh, 
Noah's character is interesting in that he's he's obviously presented as having some sort of learning disability. Yes. Um, he is cognizant of, of much of what is going on, and maybe it's just a lack of communication ability. Yeah. Uh, there's ambiguity in how he's played and presented, and you'll always have that when you yeah. have <clears throat> someone without such a disability portraying someone with. Um, but Noah, I was thinking of Noah as... Uh, as the convert who becomes an extremist. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe because I was thinking about Rod Dreyer is why, oh, <laughs> why yeah. I've come to that. But, but Noah, Noah hasn't been invited into this fold. He, he discovers that the creatures are fake. Yeah. And he puts on and takes it of his own accord to, to spread more fear. Mm. It is Noah who has been killing the animals. And even, even in the end, even until they realize he's missing in the final moments of the film, mm. uh, like when Mr. Walker's talking to Ivy, he says he assumes that it is one of the other elders who has killed the animals, but he doesn't know who. Yeah. Uh, so no one knows what Noah's doing, but Noah has taken upon himself not to expose the lie, but to Keep enlarge it, it even, yeah. Yeah. to kick it into a higher gear. Uh, there's a behind-the-scenes little featurette on the DVD that I watched last mm. night uh, that talks about the differences between Noah's uh, costume and the costumes of the other elders that mm. we see. And how the spikes are longer, and it's more more extreme. Interesting. Uh, and he is uh, he's a true believer uh, in a way. Yeah. By the end of it, now painting that in in the guise of someone with a clear mental disorder is uh, maybe not uh, not yeah. the best critique. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, I wanna I wanna my my thought on Noah. Is from the get go. You maybe maybe you have to watch it before you know this, but from the get go, he is in the know. Yeah, and he laughs about it, and right. he 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 is um, kind of like in the middle of the drama and really enjoying it. And I took that less as um, I took it more as innocence and like enjoying the yeah. game the aspect game of, it. of it. Yeah. So I didn't see maliciousness in his actions at all. Until he stabbed his, you know, yeah. his crush's fiance, <laughs> right. right? And yeah, I think that's that's fair too. He's he's in it. He's not in it for any. Up until that point, he is not doing this for any gain yeah. of himself. Um, he is he is playing the game that he has seen the elders emulate. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and that's. Back to our communities, that is certainly something that frequently happens. <laughs> Whether you're doing it on purpose right. or accidentally. And so often you're not doing it on purpose. Yeah. But you are you are playing the game and becoming more extreme in that game. Which I know from for myself. Right. Like, um, I played the game not necessarily on purpose yeah. for much of my life. But it's just it's that it's all you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um I was thinking about that more recently in regards to uh, to the history of evangelicals in American politics. Um, in the seventies, Falwell's Christian Coalition got its start not by being anti-abortion at first, but against desegregation 
because Jimmy Carter had threatened, or uh, was it Carter or was it Ford? I think it was Carter, mm. threatened to uh, defund or take public funding away from Bob Jones University, Liberty University, because they hadn't racially segregated. Yeah. Uh, and then when it looked like they had a chance with Ronald Reagan uh, to get uh, that president out of office, uh, they jumped on the abortion uh, as a uh, more palatable mm-hmm. uh, public thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we exist 30, 40 years on in a realm where what was originally picked up as something that was politically convenient is now native language. Yeah. Right? And a lot of these social ideas that were meant to separate us from the world have become so ingrained in how a younger generation defines themselves. And it doesn't, the original lie no longer matters because it is truth as far as anyone is concerned, even the people who are old enough to remember the before times. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, even as late as I I think it was, I mean, it was years after Roe, uh, Christianity Today had an abortion issue that was largely pro-abortion, or at least against limiting abortion, because when it boiled down to it, we're not Catholic. <laughs> abortion is a, a contraceptive that that, uh, that they were willing to accept. You know, Billy Graham's magazine. Hmm. And then within five years, abortion became the topic Switched. For, uh, for evangelicals. You know. uh, and that's... Uh, now we exist in a world where <laughs> it continues to be the... Uh, they at least uh, confess with your lips reason why you might support a president like we have today. Yeah, at least uh, he's pro-life. At least he's pro-life, not like those demon-worshipping Democrats. Yeah. I have I've increasingly seen people use the term demon-crats uh, in oh. recent months. Interesting. And it uh, <laughs> makes me very sad. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> I had never watched, the, you know, I haven't watched this movie since I saw it in theaters. Hmm. Uh, but I had never thought 15 about... 15 years ago. 15 years ago, yeah. right? And I had never thought about this movie uh, in the terms that you suggested mm-hmm. were the reason you loved this movie so much. And that's one one thing I really love about the movies we've talked about on Cinema Credo is so often that happens, right? I'm, I'm talking to people about movies that are important to them for the reasons that are important to them. Yeah, And it may not be that they are important to anyone else for those reasons, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's fascinating that, that for you it was really such a such a trigger. Uh, yeah. Pulling your pulling you out, even for a second. I think what I love about his movies, M. Knight's movies, um, is that a lot of them have this factor of um, when you go to the movies there's a part of you that you have to suspend disbelief. Yeah. And I think that he kind of says, okay, if you're suspending disbelief, why don't you keep going? Right. And um, I love how his, like the the monsters in the village or the aliens and signs or whatever, they're almost silly or comical in in a way. And if you're, if you're going with him down his rabbit hole, it doesn't matter. Right. And so, um, 
yeah, for a lot of people, the village was just like a, it got horrible reviews. Yeah. And any website you look at, it's horribly rated. But for whatever reason, um, he he really he really spoke right to my my childhood. But I think even in that regard, with the village especially, he's critiquing ideas that if we looked at objectively are silly. Yeah. But we never look at them objectively. Yeah. And that's that's what he's trying to, to push people to do with it. You know, like I said, it came out July two thousand four. Yeah. November two thousand four is when George W. Bush was reelected. It is a critique of mm. the war on terror in as many ways as it's interesting, yeah. 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 And I I don't know that anyone read the movie that way when it came out. But I don't know that if I don't know if a lot of people would have been in a position to read it that way. Now, obviously, we were we were firmly in to push back against the war on terror by two thousand four. Yeah, uh, there were detracting voices even even in two thousand one. But uh, but it's just it doesn't seem like anyone anyone who watched the movie in two thousand four actually. <laughs> That, that that interpretation occurred to them that this is about a gated community that's fear of crime and and the other yeah, is keeping them inside yeah keeping them from engaging compassionately with the rest of the world and it's interesting um, I think there's um, part of there is in the village a bad color which is red yeah red is a bad color so there's no red being worn and it's you know there's a plant that has red or whatever it's quickly buried or whatnot but the safe color is yellow and, and when we talk about red we all know like red will stop or fear yeah. or whatever um, putting in that term and but the safe color is yellow and uh, I think yellow in a positive way kind of signifies um, happiness and joy yeah. or whatever but if we look, think about yellow as a negative color, it usually comes around like cowardice yeah. or, or um, caution. Yeah. And so this community's safe color, the most important color, is a color that Shouting themselves in caution. In yeah. caution and, yeah. and don't go in the woods. Don't yeah. cross the barrier. You're safe as long as you're here. Mm-hmm. But then they're not safe. And that is kind of like a turning point in the movie is they're not safe because crime happens right. in their community. Right. And even, you know, it's clear in this world, which I think the the makers of this movie did a very good job, uh, even with, with background and subtler details, establishing the ideology of this of this community. Mm. Like, the only thing they have close to a prison is the quiet room. The quiet room. And the quiet room is a door that does not lock it. Uh, has a single chair mm-hmm. where you sit and think about what you've done. Yeah. Which, sort of, within their own ideology, is a punishment system that assumes that there will be no rape or murder or even theft on a grand scale. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't involve anything where where you're going to have to make a moral decision about how to punish a person. Right. That uh, doesn't deal with people who uh, don't agree with what do you what do you do with someone who uh, walks out of the quiet room? You know. <laughs> but it it portrays that they thought they were 
escaping all the ills of the world mm -hmm. by building this community. Mm -hmm. um, and that the worst they'd have to deal with was a child talking back. Right. Right. Or taking a biscuit out of the communal set without asking anyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, not someone who commits a murder because the woman he loves is in love with someone else. And, and why could they assume safety from those kind of crimes? Because they um, were all like each other. Right. They were all the same and wanted the same things. Yeah. And that's the problem, right? That's that's what the problem is that others, or them out there, yeah. um, who, who, if we're talking in religious terms, are, are um, not like us. They don't believe like we right. believe. They don't, or even in sociopolitical terms, too. Right? Any, any terms, yeah. yeah. If they're not us, then they're yeah. scary or bad or would do something that we would right. not do. Right, and when Ivy meets the security officer, she says, "You have a kindness in your voice. I wasn't expecting that." Yeah, you know, she's. Everyone has been conditioned to believe that everyone in the towns, everyone outside of the woods, is a bad guy. Yeah, uh, and we get, you know, fifteen, twenty years down from the start of this community, and suddenly the kids growing up think, "Well, maybe they're not that bad." Mm -hmm. Surely. They wouldn't be so bad as to stop us from getting medicine. Yeah. Uh, but even Ivy, when she gets out there, is still surprised that they're not that bad. In all fairness, the city they're outside of is Philadelphia. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Philadelphia is a pretty dangerous city, I guess. City of brotherly love. It is the brotherly love too. Um, I, I, I. It, it's interesting. There as they're kind of discussing if they're going to send her to the towns to get medicines. Um, he's saying, did you think we we're going to live forever? Yeah. Like if we don't pass this on, it's going to die with us. Right. And the final scene, Ivy comes back with medicines and the final line of the movie is I'm back. Right. And that's signifying like I, for me, at least I went to the towns yeah. I got the medicines, and I'm back, and we're going to continue this right. This community on. And also, you know, her father has already told the rest of the elders that Noah's death has allowed them to ideologically continue using the same setup that they've been using, to use the same fear More that they've fear. been using. Yeah. yeah. So they're all back. This is a movie that resets to the initial status quo. Yes. Um, the next generation. That we have already seen has led to tragedy and uh yeah. it's interesting that this does seem to take place outside of philadelphia mm -hmm. uh in that you know there are a lot of insular intentional communities right outside of philadelphia already <laughs> you know, amish and mennonite communities exist in that area it's interesting um which is where m knight grew up i believe yeah no he's just outside of i think so yeah um so, but they don't, they don't emulate that style of intentional community because I guess there's, it's not insular enough, uh -huh. which is an interesting regard to talking about keeping this going. You know, the, uh, the Amish communities have, uh, have rumspringa, hmm. the idea that, uh, when a child reaches a certain age, they are allowed to go into the world, to experience the world, to understand what they're rejecting by coming back to the community. Hmm. Uh, 
And more often than not, they do come back to the community. Well, is that Ivy's room springa? Maybe. In a way. It's a very short room springa, and she doesn't really very, interact very, with the world at all. quickly. She finds one guy who's, who's nice, uh, lies on her behalf, and then uh, climbs yeah. back over the wall. Sure. But, but uh, you know, obviously they've created a community where that would be impossible, but they purposely created a community where that would be impossible. They have no intention of ever going back, of ever interacting with the world again. Um, and, uh, and at least in Pennsylvania, the Amish and the Mennonite intentional communities are not that. Mm-hmm. And other, um, I think of Shane Claiborne's intentional community in Philadelphia that, yeah. uh, that ex- is explicitly not that, that is a, an right. intentional community started in, in the heart of the city to try to try to be, uh, be something different. Um, maybe the Hutterites, uh, in the northern U.S. And, and southern Canada are more, more of that insular community, uh, in that they they live much more apart. But uh, even the Hutterites in Canada are one of the most. Uh, you know, over the last few years, they have welcomed so many Syrian and and other uh, Islamic refugees into their community. Just uh, yeah, uh, and to have that from a uh, from an ostensibly. Uh, conservative Christian group is uh, is very interesting too. I have a question for you. Yeah, when you were watching the movie today, was there any part of you that um, almost envied their life in the village? Who? No, hmm. because I know that I myself am not cut out for that sort of life. Hmm. It's that. Oh, well, obviously, to the characters and to many people, that is an idyllic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not feel idyllic to me. Mm. Now, that that is not to say it is the uh, the small town or countryness of it that makes it less idyllic. Actually, in a, one of our previous episodes, um, Justin and I talked about the Lord of the Rings, particularly the Fellowship and the Shire as heaven uh-huh. and idyllic. Um, but the Shire is different to this. The Shire is, the Shire has no government to be seen, uh-huh. no governing bodies to be seen. And uh, most of what we see in the Shire is a uh, any excuse for a party. <laughs> and it's, yeah, two lunches, right? Uh, yeah, and it's always celebrating. It's always drinking in fireworks or... Mm-hmm. Or just going about your life and growing vegetables and yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas this is, uh, you know, it's it's like a dark version of that in many ways, right? Uh, so no, not for me. Uh-huh. Uh, do you ask because part of you does long for uh, for a world like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um... Sometimes the world is scary, and um, it feels like there's too many questions that don't have answers. Yeah, and sometimes it would be nice to wake up and know that what I have to do today is hoe the potato, <laughs> right. and and not worry. Have to worry about big questions or difficult questions. Right. Pardon me. That sounds really great. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but that part of you that thinks that sounds really great has to be at odds with the part of you that wants to see the world and interact with other cultures. The part of me that 
wants that simple black and white where everything's easy and in a box. Um, that's probably not the healthy part of me. Right. That's probably the part of me that just wants to not have to think about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why communities like this can exist. Yeah. Because people maybe don't want to think about things all the time. Oh, and, certainly. And so if people were thinking all the time, um, maybe there would be less chance of survival. There's, uh, you know, I've, I've talked before, you know, I'm a pacifist and practitioner of nonviolence, uh, but it's easy for me to be such because I am a six foot five, 275 pound straight white American, uh, by and by and large, I don't have anything to be afraid of Mm. and no one is trying to make me afraid. Yeah. Because they are already assuming that I am scary uh-huh. uh, if they would want to make me afraid. Uh, so I don't have to deal with thoughts like that all that often. Yep. And it is a, a privilege of my size and my position in this society that I don't have to deal with that. Uh, but you know, I have plenty. I have lived in cities, larger cities. <laughs> every, every time I've moved, I've moved to a larger city. Um, whereas much of my family is content in smaller towns or more rural areas. Mm. Um, that's the, uh, the glass family moved to, uh, rural Pennsylvania outside of Altoona in the late 18th century. Uh-huh. And my line didn't really leave until the 1940s. Wow. So we have a long history of rural, <laughs> rural living. Uh, that perhaps is in my blood in a way, but uh, but yeah, I've never been interested in it. I have I have family who uh, who live outside of uh, you know, semi large cities like like say Dayton, yep. uh, who are afraid to go into Dayton yeah. because they fear something about the other in the town, yeah. uh, even as their business takes them into the city so often. It's with trepidation. With trepidation always, yes. Um, but yeah, I've got a, a brother-in-law from a very, very rural Iowa who uh, is always nervous if they visit me huh. because he does not does not like cities, does not like the closeness of cities, yeah. the idea that uh, you are dependent on people actually scares people sometimes, right? In a city... A city has the inherent assumption that you can, to a certain extent, trust your neighbor. That they won't try to murder you. <laughs> um, that they won't try to take your property or, or whatever. Um, now, that doesn't mean that cities are communities in a communist sense. Uh, and certainly they are not in America, um, but there is, we talk about part of the idyllicness of rural communities is the trust of neighbor, uh, right? Yeah. But really that's an underlying assumption of city life is that you, you trust at least the people in your neighborhood, right? Uh, at least to me. Yeah. And maybe that is not not something that other people recognize, even other people in cities recognize. 
And we live in Columbus. We live in a city that very much does, one part does not trust the other parts. It is a patchwork city that has, <coughs> through its own city engineering, designed a place where communities are separated from one another. Right? Where highways and railroad tracks block off well-to-do com communities from from less yeah. well-off communities. Uh, so that uh, that trust of neighbor does not go very far, even in the city I choose to live in. But well, we call it a benign trust, perhaps, where we the trust isn't built on anybody's character as much as just proximity, proximity, yeah. and assumption that. Um, I'm not sure. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, but that's uh, that's sort of how I've explained it to my family, who has talked to me about why why I like cities. Uh -huh. um, it's that I, you know, I trust these people because I have to trust these people, right? Yeah. Um, there's a song I know by uh, oh goodness, John K. Sampson. Is the artist's name. He used to be the lead singer of a band called The Weaker Thans, and before that he was the bass player for Propagandi. Uh -huh. uh, but he released a solo album a couple years ago, and one of the songs ends with the line, We know this world is good enough because it has to be. Mm. And I think that's sort of my view of city life in a way. That, you know, it, uh, it has to function. So it has to function in a way where I don't need to be afraid of the people around me. Mm -hmm. uh, that does not say that I am cavalier. No. <laughs> and certainly when I travel to a new city, I am much more anxious about that community and right. interacting with that community. Right. Uh, particularly when I travel to larger cities. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I, when I went to New York a few years ago, I, I purposefully tried to make myself look poorer than I was. Interesting. <laughs> like, um, but, uh, you know, not looking like a victim, uh -huh. uh, but, uh, but still, you know, it is, uh, it's interesting. You know, I have, is that so many, so many people I know and am related to would, uh, would want a community like the village. And so many of them come from a community like the village in, in yeah. ways that we've already talked about. Yeah. Uh, but I remember uh, my, my parents right now, my father runs, is the manager of a Grace Brethren uh, church-owned campground mm -hmm. uh, just outside of Blacksburg, Virginia. And I remember uh, in the run-up to the uh, 2012 election, uh, some of my father's family made jokes mm -hmm. about the possibility of everyone moving into the campground and cutting down trees across the roads and jokes <laughs> jokes now none of that happened yeah. of course uh, but yeah. uh, at the same time they were they were talking about it and yeah. whether or not it would be a good idea to lock themselves off from a uh, from a United States that re-elected Barack Obama. Uh, mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a scary, a scary world. A scary world. A scary liberal world. Yeah. That stands against everything we believe in. 
because we have conditioned ourselves to believe that, not because it is an actual tenet of our religion, certainly. <laughs> but but uh, what becomes... Uh, what becomes a tenet of your religion? Is it the thing you teach all the time, or is it the actual holy book beliefs? It's the thing you teach. teach. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think fear is a a very human emotion. Right. I just saw a quote. It was attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if it was him or not, but um, the quote is, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I I don't by all means don't know if I got it all the way, but. Um, I don't like that man at all. I should get to know him better. Yeah. And I think we fear what we don't know. Um, and so that's why that I think that idea of the community being small and protected and, and let's yeah. keep, keep it safe. We know everybody there, and so we're not right. afraid of them. There's, um, there's a Tolstoy quote that I've definitely mentioned on this podcast before. And no paraphrase too, because it's it's from the kingdom of God is within you, and everything Tolstoy says in that book he says four times, five different ways. Uh, the, the, a, con- a conglomeration of the... yeah, yeah. Uh, but one of the arguments he makes is essentially that uh, humanity has gone through different stages of us versus them, where at first it was us as me and my family versus society then us, me, and my community versus the rest of everyone, and then us, me, and my nation versus everything else. And Tolstoy said he, with his view of Christianity, was a rejection of the idea of a them, that we are all us. Uh, But the only way he saw in the late 19th century of getting beyond us versus them was some sort of existential threat to all of humanity that would force humanity to come together as us versus and outside them. Are you speaking of aliens? I don't think he meant extraterrestrial in that way. Uh, but also think about the world we live in today where we are maybe facing three or four different existential threats to humanity as a species. Uh, and we have not managed to come together we are still othering people. And aliens aren't even one of those and options. And aliens aren't even one of those options. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, did you see Ed Astra? It's, it only came out fairly recently. Yeah, no. um, one of one of the major themes of Ed Astra is that uh, well, the, the moral as delivered by the main character in in his talking two different points in the movie, which is one of Ad Astra's problems. But the moral of the movie is that uh, it's a very humanistic message in that this is all there is. And he doesn't mean that negatively. Mm -hmm. He means this is all there is, and that's why we need to treasure what we have. Interesting. That's the the positive sort of uh, uh, nihilism of, of God is dead is, well, if God's dead... And we need to, mm. we need to care about one another. If yeah. there's not some outside force that is going to fix everything, we need to work on that. No one's coming to rescue. Right. Us. No one's coming to rescue us. But ultimately, in my reading of of the teachings of Jesus, that's what he's saying. Mm. You know, pray that heaven is coming to earth and act to make heaven come to earth. Mm. Don't wait around for heaven to come to earth. Mm. This is your job. This is it. 
yeah, and this is it. Uh, and maybe that's uh, my own worldview affecting my reading of, of the Bible, but, uh, which is fair. Uh, but at the same time, I recently had a family member uh, accuse me of uh, adding to the Bible mm. by talking about uh, um, Paul's rejection of gender applying to non-gender people and and transgender people mm. as well, mm. uh, among some other things that sure. I said. Um, and uh, and I felt it interesting that uh, you know, that's. It's, an, it's, again, that lack of self-reflection, too, right? Uh, because at the same time, he was using Genesis 124 as a condemnation of transgender people in which you know, God created man, male and female. He created them. Uh, but to, to take that verse and make it into being transgendered is sinful yeah. is adding significantly to the text, right? Exactly what he was accusing me of doing. Uh, but that's uh, that's the power of community, right? And he, he is coming out of the place where he has the proper biblical interpretation and his community believes he has the proper biblical interpretation. Yeah. And I'm coming from a place as far as he's concerned of a single individual saying this thing yeah. with no no community support or backup, certainly not a community he recognizes he as a community. Yeah. You work in Thailand. Mm. You're a counselor yeah. to uh, specifically uh, missionaries, mm. is my understanding, or children of missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it denominationally affiliated? Mm. Uh, no. We are... Um, the, the word I use is... Um, uh, well, uh, oh, I've just lost it. But we work with anybody that's, yeah. that's there as a missionary. Uh, as such, um, is it? Um, are there non-Protestants in? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's not you. The vast yeah. majority are not Protestant. Are Protestant? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a wide array of Protestants as well. Correct. Uh, people who. Uh, maybe are really gung-ho that you went to Liberty and maybe some who are a little reticent of that idea. I have, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not all bad from, yeah. <laughs> from where I'm at that I went to Liberty. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll say it that way. Um, we, call it, we, we call it reframing. A positive reframe there you um, go. is a, a way to spend my Liberty uh, years. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's interesting. Um, I know you're hesitant to do this, but I do want to give you an opportunity to uh, you you rely on financial support from from other people. I do. Uh, would you like to to tell our listeners how they might support your work and maybe a little more about that work specifically? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I I am there um, on support uh, from people giving to the work I'm doing, and I really um, think of my work as keeping families that have chosen to live overseas and to um, use their lives as um, in a humanitarian way or a religious way um, to keep their kids healthy. And a lot of these kids were, were moved to Asia. Most of the kids I work with are living in Asia, moved to Asia and uh, are there and making the best of it. And I just kind of view my job as keeping them healthy or um, helping them get back to health uh, emotionally or mentally. 
So, so these are predominantly uh, Western families who have have mm-hmm. come to the area. So it's a, a culture change. It's a culture change. Yeah, yeah. Work with um, a lot of Americans, but a lot of um, people from all over uh, Australia, Europe, Canada. Yeah. English speakers. English speakers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have done some work with uh, translators, but um, it's much slower. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, it's counseling work. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, just helping people adjust and, and yep. deal, with, uh, deal with the pressures of changing culture like that. Changing culture, anxiety, yeah. depression, whatever, yeah. whatever they bring to it. And... It's interesting to me that you predominantly work with the kids because the kids are more often than not not uh, not consenting to this. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big change. advocate of of recognizing that missionary kids or what they're more commonly referred to as third culture kids. They have yeah. their passport culture, their host country's culture, and then they make their own culture. Yeah, um, they are not the missionaries; their their parents are, um, and so keeping that in mind as we're doing as I'm doing this work um, that a lot of times they're there um, I mean let's be honest Thailand's a cool place to live and so they're not they don't a lot of them don't hate it yeah but it's still not home right quote unquote home and it's still not uh, you you go into those sorts of situations with an understanding that any friendship you might develop isn't going to last yeah right? absolutely yeah because you could be somewhere else a new city, a new country, right. or back home yeah. uh, in your, your home culture, your passport culture. Someone who moves across the world yeah. um, is much more likely to move across the world again. Right, right. That's actually, um, that reminds me of my own life growing up, and that my, my father was, was at a lot of different churches yeah. uh, through, uh, through the course of my upbringing. Uh, so, you know, I spent two years in school in Troy, Ohio, five years in school in uh, Hagerstown, Maryland, two years in uh, Warsaw, Indiana, yeah. and then five years in uh, Mansfield, Ohio. Well, all uh, Midwest, I'm sure. All Midwest. Cultures, yeah, even yeah. in that. And not a, not a super wide array of culture, yeah. but, uh, but still new areas, yep. new people, and... Uh, and the maintenance of uh, of friendship, uh, particularly in the '90s when I was growing up, sure, was much more difficult uh, to the point where I do not have any friends from prior to eighth grade, yep. uh, who I maintain contact with. Uh, though interestingly enough, uh, a future episode of this podcast will be with a guy I went to elementary school with, wow. uh, who. Uh, we we still don't talk very much, uh-huh. uh, but we did reconnect on Facebook, and yeah. he expressed interest in in being uh, being on this podcast. Very cool. Yeah, um, yeah. The internet uh, works out a little bit sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> not all bad. It's not all not, bad. Not all scary. Um, speaking of not all scary, can you think of anything else from the movie that you wanna you wanna bring up, or uh, mm. anything in your notes you didn't touch on? Yeah, um, I think I think it's inter- uh, a small note, and this um, there's besides the elders who are aware that this is all a farce, as they call it, that yeah. the village is not set in the 1800s, and that this is a 
um, contrived society. The two people that know are a girl that's blind. Yeah. Ivy Walker is one of the main characters, and she's blind. And then Noah Percy, who we spoke about earlier, is um, the, the boy with some sort of um, mental disorder. Yeah. These are the two people that know about the village being a farce. I think there's something interesting yeah. about that, that the two people that know are people that we would not consider right. um, the first who would know. And the third one who's beginning to heavily suspect is the quiet outsider. Or the quiet outsider who questions. Yeah. Yeah. Starts to question. And they are all they are all different to the community in their own ways. Yes. Uh, uh, intellectually, physically, or or just personality wise. Yeah. Uh, they don't fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as such, they are uh, not necessarily actively punished by the community, but ultimately within the narrative of the film, they are. They are. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about, there's, a, there's one line that you called attention to. Sometimes we don't do things we want to do so that others won't know we want to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about that in my own religious background of how often, mm-hmm. uh, even to this day, uh, particularly before the death of my, my grandfather, my father's father, of uh, the, the uh, bounds my extended family would go to to make sure that no one else in my extended family knew that they drank uh-huh. um, so that it would not get back to grandpa. grandpa uh-huh. that, uh, um, and it's always, it's always open secrets, right? Interesting. And because so many other people know, but you can't, you can't admit it. Right. You can't, you can't get a drink with your, uh, uh-huh. with your aunt or uncle. <laughs> uh, and to a certain regard, that's probably more, more open in some, some instances than others through the course of my family. But, uh, but yeah, it was always interesting. Just even when they started to question their upbringing and push against it and actively work against it, in such a case as alcohol consumption, they had to be secretive about it, even to people who would be sympathetic to what they were doing, even to people who were doing the exact same thing for the exact same reasons. They had to be quiet about it. Mm. Yeah, quiet, quietness and, and keeping secrets is key right. to maintaining. Right. And maintaining order. Um, and one thing we haven't touched on, but that certainly comes up with too, is uh, sex abuse within the church and within evangelical culture and you know any church hierarchy we've seen we've seen it in a lot of different uh, Christian faiths and and outside of Christian faiths where where hierarchy has done that but particularly here not talking about it sweeping it under the rug maintaining the elements of control and sometimes that means getting rid of the people who have uh, realized the truth or just silencing them yeah. in some way. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> a lot of ways to, to talk about it. I was thinking about that as we were watching it. Um, 
you know, you watch, well, the whole movie took place in a pretty easily constructed movie set. Yeah. I mean, they, they cleared out a little area and then all some woods and built, you know, 20 buildings and called yeah. it good. Yeah. Um, and, but in that simplicity, oh man, there's so much going on. Right. Um, and so many questions about, well, yeah, how, how it's maintained. Right. I think it's a I think it's a great movie, and even though um, for a lot of people um, this movie might be seem kind of contrived and simplistic, and some of the delivery of the lines like a bit uh, stilted, um, what's happening all all the undercurrents to me is really fascinating. Right. It's also interesting uh, whenever you talk about maintaining. Uh, a community there is well maybe not whenever but more often than not there is a dream of a perfect past mm. and this movie you, know, you questioned at the beginning of our conversation why why they chose to to make it 100 150 years in the past but a thing about it is it's kind of anachronistic in all its ways now obviously our leader here is a history professor, so he should know better. But, you know, it's a hodgepodge of architectural styles. It's got Victorian-style gas lamps. It's got... Uh, it's got this idealized version of the past that they're reaching for, yeah. too, right? Yeah. Um, which is, more often than not, how nostalgia, particularly social nostalgia, works. Well, and how do they get to the villages that... Everyone, the original nine yeah. elders, um, had someone murdered. Right. And in their grief, and maybe we could even go as far as saying hysteria, yeah. they said, we can do better than that. Right. Um, and this is the first real crime that happened. And I think um, you see that glimmer of like, maybe this is ending. Yeah. But then at the end, they decide that it's uh, something they're going to maintain. And they said, we have, he said, um, Mr. Walker says, we have protected innocence. Yeah. But they haven't. But they have not. They've swept over. They, they have, yeah. 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 And there you go. That's, uh, yeah. The village is good, actually, uh, as it turns out. <laughs> As it turns out, <laughs> if you can suspend disbelief and just yeah. go with it, uh, wow, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've probably seen the movie ten times, I imagine, um, and probably five five years ago was the last time I saw it, and every time I see it, it just it grips me, yeah, um, for the power that the stories we tell ourselves right. have over us, right, yeah, yeah, and of course, you know, so much of Shyamalan's film work is about stories telling in itself right and this movie is about stories that a community tells itself about how they are good and everything else is bad yeah. and then they're not good yeah they separated themselves and yet this this bad still happens without the outside influence of anything mm -hmm. and maybe that is Shyamalan saying something negative about human nature, but it is, I think, more negative about the culture they have presented, they have created. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And it is not inherent to human nature as much as the end result of what is really a vice, yeah. a, a, a vice of perfectionism, of control. Yeah, control. If you want to see a movie with William Hurt, Sigourney <laughs> Weaver, Jesse Eisenberg, Adrian Brody, all in, in period, yeah, in period uh, dress, this is the one. <laughs> I really, I obviously had for, had no idea that Jesse Eisenberg was in this movie. Completely, completely forgot. Uh, but uh, but I do love that that. He's introduced, and and more often than not, when he is on screen, he is surprised because I am surprised in the same way every time I notice I hit Jesse Eisenberg there in this is. movie. What? What? <laughs> the slack jaw yes. look, surprise <laughs> yeah. or fear. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, it's very interesting, and it's, it's obviously you know, we're sympathetic to William Hurt's character in many of his monologues. Mm-hmm. Your grandfather was a good man, Ivy. He had a laugh that could be heard three houses away. He used to hold my hand as I hold yours. He taught me strength and showed me love and told me to lead when others would only follow. Your grandfather, James Walker, died in his sleep. A man put a gun to his head and shot him while he dreamed. I tell you this. So you will understand some of the reasons for my actions and the actions of others. He says to Ivy as he uh, shows her the the creature costumes. Um, And yeah, I understand where he's coming from. uh, But that doesn't mean what he has done is an unequivocal good, right? What yeah. is unequivocal good? <laughs> There's a question. There, that actually, um, maybe, sorry, I know we're trying to wrap up. Oh, no, I only... Um, it, it, it made me wonder. Um, I don't... I don't... The elders knew they were lying and chose to perpetrate this lie. Right. And I think that's where we draw the line between life and movies. And I wonder... I'm, I, I'm a hopeful person, and I hope would like to hope that most people do not knowingly um, lie yeah. to um, hold on to this kind of power. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's many instances where that's the opposite of the truth. <laughs> right, right. As, I'm, as, I'm thinking, as I'm thinking of my childhood, um, there are so many people who um, I can point back to um, from those days that I think are some of the just most beautiful people. Right. And, uh, and I don't think they ever purposely perpetrated some sort of lie. Yes. Or... But we're caught in a system where where it was natural to do that. But it was part of the process, right? Yeah. I mean, to to briefly you know, step back and mention sexual abuse, right? I think I think a lot of particularly non-denominational and all Protestant denomination ministers. Uh, who who end up grooming a woman in their congregation or youth pastors with with members of the youth group aren't doing it even necessarily on purpose or out of some sort of malice, but because that is the culture they live in. Hmm. Uh, and it's uh, a good argument for dismantling that culture too, though. <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah.
but that is that is me speculating with no research whatsoever. So take that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's an interesting thought. Yeah, but yeah, there is there is a bit of that that happens right um, in religious communities for sure. Um, you talked about uh, your work and ways to support you, uh, mm-hmm. but particularly is there uh, uh, a website or an address we could, oh, uh, sure. we could help with? Yeah, um, the website is www.paraclete.com. Paraclete. P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E. Okay. And it's a Greek word, I believe, that basically means coming alongside of, coming alongside of somebody else. It's paraclete.net. Yeah. And, um, and my page is slash E-M-C-H, my last name. Emch. Emch. All right. Hey, look, there's you. I there, just pulled it up. There I am. And we can uh, mail checks to uh, Denver, Colorado. Not even all that. Mail checks where there is online. There is online. Uh, there is. Option as well. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh. I love that uh, the online donation options are all above the amount of money I can give you. <laughs> there's definitely there's there's uh, there's uh, the suggested donations. Suggested. There's also the other the other yeah. category. Create your own. Yes. Create but, uh, your own. But the uh, the base option being a five hundred dollar uh, recurring donation is. Uh, but dream big. Dream big. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I have no control over that part of the website. <laughs> but, you know, if you happen to click on that, it's okay. <laughs> Paraclete.net slash uh, to help support David in his work with missionary kids uh, dealing with their uh, their social changes mm. um, and various other changes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, all the emotional and mental disorders yes, that yes. accompany life. Right. Well... You're doing the Lord's work. I hope so. Probably. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, David. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about The Village uh, from 2004 M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode of Cinema Credo. I am, as always, Lee Glass. We'll see you next time. Strength and mercy for me And from me every day Thank you for listening to Cinema Credo, conversations on film and faith. I'm your host and writer, Adam Bless. Film clips this week are used under fair use. Thank you to Steve Richter for the use of our theme song, Madrasita, off of his album, Beloved. Check out his work at steverichter.com. That's S-T-E-E-V-R-I-C-H-T-E-R.com. Uh-huh.